Bibles, if you would, please, and open them to Revelation chapter 20. And we are just blessed to be able to come to this subject that we're speaking on tonight. In our study of Matthew on Sunday mornings, I've often remarked that Jesus is the king who is coming back to rule in a kingdom on this earth. And it's a kingdom in which he's going to rule in perfect righteousness. One of the things that took place in Christ's ministry when he was here on the earth is he gave the people a glimpse of what that coming kingdom would be like. Jesus healed people from their diseases. Um, He cast demons out of people, and that's a characteristic of the coming kingdom where the devil will not be here. He controlled the the weather. He he calmed the sea when there was a storm on the sea, and that shows that he's able to give a perfect climate to the world. And that's one of the things that will happen during the millennial kingdom. And he certainly taught love and compassion. That was evident in his ministry. And God's loving kindness will be on display when Jesus comes in his kingdom here upon the earth. Not only is God able to give us a perfectly natural climate, but he'll also give us a social climate in which the relationships person to person will be very, very much improved. It'll just be a wonderful world to live in. So it's a great subject that we have to speak about tonight. Uh, The kingdom of Christ is going to be very strictly controlled. Uh, No one is going to be allowed to ruin the kingdom for other people. And God will have swift judgment upon sin during that time. And, of course, sin will be restricted, limited in its amount due to the iron-fisted rule of Christ. And in our verses previous to those that we're going to read tonight, what we've already studied, we've learned, again, that Satan is going to be taken out of this world. That is a key to the, the... low degree, I guess would be a word, I don't know exactly how I'd want to say that, but there won't be as much sin upon the earth during that time because Satan's uh, temptations are going to be removed and God is going to keep a very watchful eye upon sin during that time. That particular part of God's kingdom is called the millennium because of the 1,000 years that we have mentioned here, but God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. When he begins his kingdom, it will never end. And it's just defined as the millennium here because that is the amount of time that Satan will be held in the abyss before he is finally destroyed forever. So our subject this evening is the character of the kingdom during the millennial age. What will change? What are the activities going to be like in the millennial kingdom? Who will be there? How extensive is that kingdom? What is our relationship to the king and to each other And before we're through, we're also going to talk about how our relationship even with animals changes. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to become animals. Don't don't get me wrong, anything like that. But even the animal kingdom is waiting on the redemption of God to come to this world in order to make it even better for them. And we're going to talk about uh, all of those things in the the, uh, following messages. We'll talk about some of them tonight. Now, I want you to notice verses 4 through 6. These are our text verses in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, We read these verses several weeks ago, only that time we weren't actually talking about characteristics of the kingdom, but rather we were talking about interpretations of the kingdom. And there are questions that are raised about it, Um, what, again, what it's going to be like, but really uh, the interpretations deal with the physical aspects of the kingdom. Is it a physical kingdom? Is it a spiritual kingdom? 
Are the things that we're talking about here in Revelation allegorical, or are they actually things that will happen? Are they real? And we've come to the conclusion, as we've studied this, that we do believe that Christ is going to establish a physical kingdom upon the earth. It is a real kingdom. The 1,000 years that is mentioned here is a real figure. It's not representative of some other length of time. It really is a 1,000-year a period. And that the coming of Christ is premillennial, and that means that Christ comes back before the kingdom begins, which means that we cannot be living in the kingdom right now. And as I mentioned when we were studying interpretations of Revelation, the most prevalent belief... Now, you you may not think so, but the most prevalent belief in the world is that we are actually living in the kingdom now. And when Christ comes, that's the end of everything. Everybody goes immediately to heaven. Uh, Those that are saved go to heaven. Those that are lost go to hell. There is a no tribulation period. There is no physical kingdom upon the earth. Well, we, we do believe that there will be a physical kingdom And we believe that that is really uh, the most blessed answer, that is the most hopeful answer that you can be given for this, because there is a golden age that's coming upon the earth. And that's unfathomable for us to think about, because we really have never seen anything like this before. And I couldn't think of a better way to describe it than a passage of Scripture in Habakkuk 2, verse number 14. And it's a Scripture that was used as the uh, basis for a hymn. Habakkuk says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters that cover the sea. And the hymn writer took that, and he said, The kingdom is coming, O tell you the story. God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of its knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. Well, this is a wonderful, amazing time to look forward to. So we're going to look into these, I guess what I would call very pregnant verses again. And I mean by that that there is a lot hidden in these verses, and it's not revealed until somebody goes and searches the thing out. So we need to understand Christ's coming kingdom. If you look in Revelation 20, verse number 4, John says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I suppose that the first thought that we would have in reading this description in Revelation is where is the real description of the kingdom? Where where do we find this? Uh, We've been through 19 chapters in Revelation and we've reached the climax of the book in the 11th verse of the 19th chapter where it talks about Christ coming back to the world and establishing this glorious kingdom. And so with great anticipation, we come to the 20th chapter and we expect that what we'll find here is John going on for 19 more chapters telling us how spectacular that the kingdom of God will be upon the earth. But instead, we get to the 20th chapter, and we find one phrase in one verse, in verse number 4, they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And then in the end of the 6th verse, and shall reign with him 
a thousand years. And that's all that we see in this passage concerning the kingdom that comes. So where is the description of the kingdom? How do we find out about it? What is it like? And I could only say that John must expect us to be good Bible students. Does he really need to tell us what the kingdom is going to be like? When in fact the Old Testament has hundreds, literally hundreds of prophecies about the second coming of Christ. And the most prominent feature of all of those prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the second coming is the kingdom. It's a very prominent thing in the Old Testament. Daniel is one of the many places that we can go to in the Old Testament to read about it. In Daniel chapter 2, I'm sure that you are familiar with the story there, how that Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, had a dream. And in this dream, he saw there was a great image that was set up, and it had a head of gold and breast and arms of silver. It had a belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, and feet that were partly of iron mixed with clay. And Daniel interpreted that dream to be a succession of kingdoms that would come on the earth. And in that dream, there was a stone that was cut out of the mountain, and it came down, and it smashed that image to pieces. The Bible says that this was not a stone that was cut out with hands, or it's not human hands, but this stone came rolling down, and it crushed that image, and then the Bible says that it became a great mountain that filled all of the earth. And that was speaking of Christ and the millennial kingdom. In the 44th verse of Daniel chapter 2, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and shall stand forever. So we have those references that are in the Old Testament, and then we have many references in the New Testament about the kingdom. These are places that things in the Bible that were written prior to the time that John was given the revelation. And so we've come to understand this, that in order for us to really find out what revelation is all about, and especially to see what the kingdom of God on earth is going to be like, we have to go back to those other scriptures. So we go back to the Old Testament, and we look at the scriptures that are there, we look at the New Testament and find what's there, and those things tell us about the kingdom. The Old Testament particularly is very pointed about the kingdom. And it tells us that what God intends to do is to turn this world around and put it back like it was intended to be. And so the kingdom that's coming upon the earth will have characteristics like Eden. And before God is through with it, it'll be far and away better than Eden. And it will truly be a golden age upon the earth. I'm going to spend my time tonight speaking of some of these characteristics of the kingdom. And I'm not going to finish this sermon tonight. As I told you with the outline this morning, there's not very much on it, but we're going to keep adding to it. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the kingdom. So some observations that I want to make about it. First of all, it is a the resplendent millennium. That's the way I've termed it, termed it a resplendent millennium. And resplendent means with glory and having great beauty and splendor. I don't know if that description is adequate. I don't think that it is. But it starts us in the right direction. As you know, millennium is a combination of two words, two Latin words. Mil meaning a thousand, annum meaning years. Uh, year, and so we have 1,000 years. And this is one of those terms, when you begin to talk about the millennium, it's a term that stands on its own. When you say millennium, almost uh, any Christian of any stripe will know what you're talking about. 
You're not talking about the first thousand years of human history. You're not speaking of the first thousand years after Christ appeared upon the earth. But you're talking about a future age, an age that's, that is going to be a golden age upon the earth, a future golden age. Now, interestingly about this, the concept of a golden age on the earth is found in many ancient cultures. W.A. Criswell writes about it. He said, It is found in the literature of all the families of the world. The beginning of that vision is lost in the dim antiquities of the past. We find it recurring again and again in the literature of the ancient Egyptians, of the ancient Babylonians and Chaldeans, of the ancient Persians and Medes, and of the Greeks and of the Romans. And I thought about that quote as I read that. I wondered how did this idea come into all these ancient civilizations? What is it that prompted this belief? Because those ancient civilizations that he speaks of don't, didn't know Jehovah God. They weren't worshipers of him. And he says the, the beginning of the vision is lost in the dim antiquities of the past. And I wonder, how, 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 what is he talking about? I mean, how, how is it possible that these people had an idea that the, the world was going to change? What made them think that? So I began to think about that question, and I thought about the prophecy that was given to Enoch before the flood. Now, the only place that we read about that prophecy is in the book of Jude, and we discussed how that might have, might have been revealed to Jude. Um, God had to have told him that. Maybe Jesus spoke it directly to him, but certainly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he recorded the prophecy of Enoch who said before the flood ever happened that Christ was coming or God is coming to the earth. The Lord is coming, he said, with ten thousands of his saints. And so I wondered if it might be possible that this was also revealed to Enoch. The Lord is coming, and when he comes, he will set up a kingdom upon the earth. It seems like a logical conclusion to me that this is information that could have been passed along to Noah and then his sons, and after they came out of the ark, that uh, it began to, to spread this information that the Lord was coming and that a kingdom would begin. Now, of course, again, those... Uh, ancient cultures did not understand Jehovah God, and so they were mixed up about what the kingdom would be like. Also, in those same ancient cultures, all of them have stories about the flood. They're mixed up about that as well because they didn't know Jehovah God. So we go to the place where we can find the truth of these matters, and that is in God's Word. So we find the Golden Age written in the Scriptures, and we also find that it or the world is going to change in dramatic ways. So what will the millennium be like? Well, we're first going to talk about the physical features of the earth. The earth is going to be a different place. There will be a change of topography. The, the coming world will look differently than it does now. And it's not the first time that the world changed topographically. Both the geography and the topography of the world was different in the antediluvian age, that is, before the flood. That's why you can't find the Garden of Eden today. You can't go to a world map and point out where the Garden of Eden was located, and that's because the world was a very much different place before the flood. In uh, Genesis chapter 7, the Bible talks about violent upheavals that came from beneath the, curse of the crust of the earth at the time of the flood. In Genesis 7:11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. 
And so there was a breakup of these great subterranean reservoirs that changed the topography of the earth, and that's very likely responsible for the different continents that we have in the world today and also uh, the oceans that are in the world. Just before the millennial kingdom begins, there's also going to be, there will be remarkable changes that take place. Now, if you'll turn back with me to chapter 6, this is when the six seal on the scroll was open, and John tells us there what happens to the earth. Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 12, it says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind." And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now there you see in verse number 13, it says, And the stars of heaven fell to the earth. Uh, When we were studying that chapter, we know that obviously cannot mean the stars that you see light years and light years away because they're very much larger than the earth. Of course, the sun is larger than the earth. So we must be talking about meteors, meteor showers and so forth that happen upon the earth. So the earth is pummeled with those, and then there are earthquakes. And it says that the islands are moved out of their place. The mountains are, are, are shaken down. The oceans are shifted. So we have these great earthquakes that occur. And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus uh, told about a great earthquake. And we find that many different places in Revelation. There are five different passages in Revelation that refer to earthquakes. Now listen to this description. Turn over to chapter 16, if you would, and let's read this one. Uh, Revelation chapter 16, and in verse number 18. If you're afraid of earthquakes, you don't want to be around during the tribulation. Revelation 16, 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. That's speaking of Babylon. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. So there you see a change of topography. Mountains are leveled, islands are obliterated, and so the world is going to look very much different after God has beaten it down with these meteor showers and also the earthquakes that will occur. Now, interestingly, there is a prophecy in the Old Testament concerning this, which I believe has a double fulfillment. This is in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. It says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. We recognize that as being a prophecy about John the Baptist. When John the Baptist came, he prepared the way for the coming of Christ. In verse number 4, it talks about the removal of obstacles. And applying that to the time of John the Baptist, it means that there would be many different things that would be removed out of the way of the Jews from believing the gospel of Christ, and people would be converted to the kingdom. But there's also another fulfillment of this, and it takes place just prior to the millennial kingdom. 
The activities that we just read about a moment ago with the mountains that are shaken down and the, and the earthquakes and so forth, that causes the earth to take on a more level topography. When we discussed this before, I stated that it's very possible that Jerusalem will turn out to be the, lar- the, the highest point upon the earth. Now, today, Jerusalem, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is about a little over 2,000 feet, 2,500 feet in, ev- in elevation. And um, at the time of the millennium, God, or Jesus Christ, is going to rule from Jerusalem. And, and so if the rest of the world has be- become leveled off, then this place where God begins his kingdom, where Christ rules from, could very likely be the highest point on the earth and truly be that shining city on the hill, visible with the glory of God for miles around. Many of you are probably familiar with Henry Morris, who was the co-founder of the Institute of Creation Research. And uh, Dr. Morris died in 2006, but he, he left behind a great legacy of writings Uh, different books about the flood and such things as we're talking about tonight. Uh, Interestingly, he wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. And uh, I could certainly recommend that you read some of his books concerning the flood. They're very interesting. One of my favorite books that he wrote was The Biblical Basis for Modern Science. Somebody borrowed that book from me and hasn't returned it. So if you have it, please bring that back. That's one of my favorite books. But he also had a commentary on, the Genesis, on Genesis. That's called the Genesis record. That's really interesting. He has this commentary on Revelation. And what he does is he draws on his scientific background, and he, very, he makes some very interesting comments about changes that will take place during the millennium. And, of course, Dr. Morris didn't have any revelation outside of the Bible and never claimed that he did. But he has some interesting ideas about this by what he knows about science and, and, and information that's given in the Bible concerning the millennial world. Now, I'm going to read to you tonight a few excerpts from his book, The Revelation Record. And uh, this particular passage is taken out of where he speaks about the world when it's rid of Satan and the demonic corruption that exists in the world today and how that the physical trauma of the tribulation is now past. And this is what he thinks that the world will look like after the physical changes of the tribulation. Here's what he says. The violent earthquakes and upheavals will have leveled all the polluted cities of the sinful world, the better to facilitate the erection of new, clean, peaceful communities at the beginning of the millennium. These great land movements will also have eliminated the great mountain ranges and islands of the world, filling up the ocean depths and restoring gently, globally, habitable topography and geography all over the world, as it had been in the antediluvian age before the cataclysmic upheavals of the great deluge. As Isaiah the prophet had foretold, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and rough places plain. This reversal of the topographic upheavals of the flood, however, will not send waters over the continents again since much of the water of the oceans will already have been re-elevated above the atmosphere, restoring in some measure the antediluvian waters above the firmament. The worldwide drought of the first half of the tribulation, the cataclysmic splashdowns of bodies from the heavens during the trumpet judgments, and the intensified solar radiations of the bowl judgments will all have contributed to the translation of vast quantities of water vapor far into the skies. Now, I want to stop there for just a minute and reflect upon what we talked about in the Matthew study. When we discussed that, the miracle of Jesus controlling 
the, the storm on the sea, that was to show us that Christ has power over nature. And in the millennial kingdom, Christ will control nature, all of the weather patterns, to the utmost benefit of the inhabitants of the earth. And so there will be an abundance of crops. There will be plenty of rain wherever it's needed. And uh, the Lord is going to take care of everything that we need in that kingdom to make it habitable and enjoyable place for us to live. So Morris describes this, uh, how this will happen with a, a vast water canopy that over the earth, which he believes is what happened prior to the flood. And that's the explanation for how God enables it to rain uh, wherever he needs it. And that's important because if you take away the mountain ranges and you take away the oceans as they are now, then weather patterns will change. I mean, that has a great deal to do with the kind of weather that we have. So uh, just like before the flood, uh, he believes that there will be these vast amounts of water vapor in the atmosphere, which causes, again, a greenhouse effect upon the earth. Now, he speaks of that in his commentary on Genesis and also here in the Revelation record. Then he goes on and he says, In the original world, the only rains were gentle mist from localized daily evaporation and precipitation. Genesis 2.5, keeping the world everywhere at comfortable temperatures and humidity and supporting an abundance of plant and animal life in all regions of the globe. There were no deserts or, or, or ice caps or uninhabitable mountain heights. It was all very good, Genesis 1.31. The cataclysm of the Great Flood destroyed that beautiful world, but the global upheavals of the Great Tribulation will restore it, at least in measure. Now, I could go on reading to you, but there, there really are some fascinating things that he says. He, he goes on and he talks about why is it that men began to eat animals? Why did animals become carnivorous? He speaks about the world being contaminated by all these different pollutants and all of those have to be removed in order to restore the world to the original state of creation. So if you're interested in those kinds of things, you can get some of the books that I mentioned. And I'm still thinking about this, that when we get through with Revelation, we might just go to the other end of the Bible, to the beginning, and take up the book of Genesis, and then we'll have time to talk about the creation of the world and talk about the flood and all these things again and make some of these comparisons. But whether Henry Morris is correct about this or not, we do know that the millennial kingdom will exist on a spectacular earth. It will be different from what we know now. Now, some people don't like driving through Nevada, or Nevada, however you pronounce it in California, but you drive through Nevada. That's how Californians say it, or Nevada. So you drive through there, and you look at that desert, and people say, what a horrible drive, what a boring drive, driving through Nevada. That's going to be fixed in the Millennial Kingdom. Texas will be fixed. And New Jersey will be made over again. Thank the Lord for that. It's all going to be different. So let's go a little bit further. The topography of the earth will change, and there will also be other changes. Next, we're going to talk about the change of longevity. Now, once again... We have a prototype of the kingdom in the ministry of Christ. We go back to Matthew chapter 9 in the scripture that we read this morning. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. There you have a preview of the physical and mental health of people during the millennium. And I'll be glad to see that. I mean, I, I, there, Kaiser will have no hospitals in the millennium. And you, you, fu- you know, we fuss about those high premiums that they charge and all of that. And I've just been through that with my wife this week. 
Uh, my wife said, I think it was on Monday, she'd been there one day, and, and she's lying there, and, and she's, you know, it was a serious matter. I don't mean to make light of it. She was very, very, very sick and, and uh, near to death almost. And um, someone comes in from the business office and shakes her down for money. So my, my daughter who was there sent me a text and said, they want you to stop by admitting before you come back up here. So I went in, and we had our little talk about the bill and all of those kinds of things. Well, I don't have to worry about that in the millennium. There's no going to be sickness, anything like that, no, no Kaiser hospitals or any other kind because God is going to take care of our physical illnesses and our mental health. All of that is going to be much better. Uh, there will be abundant harvest upon the earth. Uh, God will end hunger. You'll never see on the television the, the swelled belly of a child suffering from starvation. A moment ago I said... Henry Morris talked about that water canopy over the earth, and perhaps that water canopy will reduce solar radiation. And again, this is another thing that uh, Morris proposes as a theory as to why there were long ages upon the earth before the the flood was because of this uh, water canopy that kept solar radiation from from coming through. And, of course, we know that that... uh, contributes to the aging process. So it's likely that with the, that canopy back again that we'll see the ages of people increase. Uh, we know that it will. Uh, something is going to cause that. The Lord is going to cause that in some way. After the flood, you see the ages of people beginning to decrease. Now, prior to the flood, ages were very, very, very long. Methuselah died at 969 years old, and he died in the year of the flood. Go back and you figure all that out. He died before the flood came, in the same year that the flood came. So the ages, uh, as you go after the flood, start to come down. So by the time that you get to Joshua, a little bit after that time, you don't really see too many centenarians. Uh, People are dying about the ages that they do now. But let's take a moment to look at the biblical record concerning ages in the millennium. So if you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 65, uh, this is one of those chapters that's really hard to explain away as being merely symbolic. This is a chapter that deserves literal interpretation, and we know that it can't be talking about the people in Isaiah's time. Look in Isaiah chapter 65, beginning in verse number 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Let me stop with that for just a moment. God says, I create new heavens and a new earth. Now, that's language very similar to what we find in the 21st chapter of Revelation. There, it's talking about heaven. But we know this passage cannot be talking about heaven because as we read a little bit further, there's still sin and there's still death, so he can't be talking about heaven. So the only time he could be talking about is the millennium. So we go on in verse number 18. He says, But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat of the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, 
nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Now, all of that is to say that people in the millennial time will live longer. There won't be any childhood diseases like we have today, so you won't have children that die in infancy. And um, it, it tells us here that a person that reaches the age of 100 years old will still be considered as a child. That's just going to be really remarkable. I mean, you think about this. There'll be 100-year-old people out there in the park swinging on the monkey bars. I mean, just acting like little kids, sliding down the slides, playing in the sandboxes, doing all that, you know. Now, listen to the last part of verse number 22 again. It says, For as the days of a tree are the days of my people. As the days of a tree. Take a trip up to Garberville and look at the redwoods up there. Some of those trees have ages 2000, up to 2,000 years old. Go to the Sierras, to the Sierra Redwoods, and there are trees there that have maximum ages of over 4,000 years. And that means that some of those trees were here before Moses. Now that is a long time, a long, long time. Then uh, some of the trees that are in the Garden of Gethsemane, they say are 2,000 years old, um, although they've never been able to prove that, and because, that's because you can't date that type of tree with rings like you do redwood trees. But they do know this, that some of those trees are at least 900 years old and date all the way back to the time of the Crusades. So I don't know if the passage in Revelation is intended to tell us that ages will be that long, but there are some people who do believe that uh, people that are born in the millennium, at the early part of the millennium, and some going into the millennium will actually see the whole thing through, that they could live as long as a 1,000 years and see the entire length of the millennium. I don't know if, if that's uh, what we find here. Maybe that's a possibility. But as a consequence of the eradication of disease, the abundant food, uh, and the extremely long times that people live upon the earth, there is going to be a population explosion. Now, if you read... Here are these other parts of Revelation. We've already learned that there are billions of people that are going to be killed during the tribulation. All of the different things that are happening in the earth, the earthquakes and the plagues that God sends upon the world, billions of people are going to be killed. But during the millennial time, with these conditions that are changed, then the world will be rapidly repopulated. And so the world is, is going to have plenty of places for people to live. God's making it, will make the world so it's a, it's a habitable place in every part of the world. Now, next time, we're going to come back and, and uh, talk some more about uh, some of this, and, and we'll talk about who will live in the millennial kingdom. And there's a difference of opinion about that. There's some people who think that everybody that goes into the millennial kingdom will be in a glorified body or at least that everybody that goes into the millennium will be a saved person. And then on the other hand, there are some who believe that everybody that goes into the millennial kingdom in a natural body is lost and that there is no possibility that they will be saved during the millennial age. So we'll talk uh, as we go through the rest of the study about a few of those things. But one thing we do know for sure, that if there are people that go into the millennial kingdom without knowing Christ as Savior they will have to behave as if they do because God is going to crack down on sin. He's not going to tolerate it. And so we'll talk some more about the changes that will take place that are immeasurably for the better. The coming kingdom of the Lord will be a great place. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we've been able to spend in your word tonight. And Lord, we're thankful that you've made such great promises to us that we can look forward to this wonderful time that's coming. First of all, we're looking for your coming back to the earth. And those of us here tonight that know you as Savior, we know that you're going to take us out of this world. We won't experience any of the tribulation time, but we will be back for this millennial kingdom where we will reign with you during the entire time. So we thank you for that, Lord. Speak to our hearts tonight and just uh, have us to understand your word better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.